your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. And welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Good to be with you again. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. Today's guest, Josh Nelson. You may have heard of him. The Sox Machine Podcast and SoxMachine.com. Josh, heard you went to the White Sox game. We are recording post-win, uh, breaking the losing streak. And it's a big series coming up this week because calendars flip into May. we got the Twins upcoming. I know you have a lot to talk about on the latest Sox Machine podcast, which I encourage the listener to go back and listen to if you haven't already. There's a lot in store for the White Sox moving forward, but 8-21. and 21. You were at the game, though, to see Andrew Vaughn's walk-off home run. Bizarre. So bizarre. A lot of things happened in that contest. Actually, a lot of things happened across, what, the 10-game losing streak. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to talk to you about a plethora of topics related to the big league club, and that's why we're here. But also, the draft's coming out. The top 100 list that you put together is going to be released this week. I encourage you to look uh, look it up on SoxMachine.com. So a lot to talk about today. But state of the White Sox, man. How are you feeling after the walk-off win, given all that had occurred to begin this season? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, I had to thaw out, Mike. Uh, it had rained for hours uh, during that game. And it, it, the temperature continued to drop. So we're all soaked. We're wet. It's cold. And then the White Sox have this crazy seven-run comeback in the ninth inning to snap their 10-game losing streak. And as you mentioned, Mike, you know, there's a lot to talk about from like a big club perspective. And I know this is the future Sox podcast, but there's some young players that are involved in this big league roster. There's going to be some roster shuffling going on. And it is very clear that there are some aspects on this team in this roster, the white Sox desperately need to patch up and they're going to have to lean on what they have in Charlotte and Birmingham right now to try to get this ship turned around. as uh, It's pretty dour right now when it comes to the, the Major League squad. As you pointed out, they're 8-21 and 21 as they enter into May, and you just have this fear that's blanketed everyone involved. Not only just like Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams speaking as of late to the media, and I'm not quite sure in how the players are feeling at the moment, but there's some weird things going on with the players, but the media and the fans, it almost feels like it's over. Like Hawk Harrelson says, you can't win a division in April, but you can lose it. And James, it just kind of feels like the White Sox may have already lost the American League Central, and it's kind of crazy to say as we enter into the month of May. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what it feels like. I mean, it, you're just so buried. And I think we kind of knew that April was going to be tough, right? I think we were hoping 500 or a couple games under 500, and then you can kind of make it up in May, but eight and 21, you know, it's still kind of disheartening at the fact that like, we're not even in May and the season kind of feels over. Right. And I don't even know how they pivot. I wasn't expecting thoughts from Ken Williams after 25 baseball games, was it 25 games? And we've already heard from Kenny. I mean, that's, it's just like never a good thing. So Josh, where do you, I mean, where do you even go from here? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think you have to see on how this upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins goes. And, you know, harken back to the earlier in April when the White Sox were in Minneapolis. Those were pretty competitive games, James. Even though the White Sox lost that series, they lost two out of three. Those games were at least competitive. And I think it was one of the series that the White Sox have played their best baseball outside of the opening series against Houston. And unfortunately, the White Sox just fell short on the short end of the stick against the Twins of Minneapolis. Can they play that type of quality baseball again at home against Minnesota? And it's a big question mark, but there is good news arriving. Tim Anderson is returning to the White Sox. So hopefully that helps out putting Anderson back at shortstop, having him lead off, moving Elvis Andrews back to second base and Obviously, there's a lot to talk about with what we've seen in the first month from Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez as they got some run to start this season. But I think in order for them to really get this turned around, they got to win this. First, they got to win a series. I mean, they're 0-8-1 in series play. If they could win the home series against the Twins, win two out of three, okay, you're building some momentum, and now you're heading to Cincinnati to start a road trip where you're facing a Reds team That has a better record than the White Sox, but I don't think they're better overall talent-wise. And then you have a four-game series against Kansas City in which right now the White Sox are slightly ahead of the Royals in the American League Central. So in that seven-game stretch on the road, can you go 5-2? and Because if you can and you go 2-1 and against the Twins, then all of a sudden you're 7-3 and in the last 10 games. And now you're building some momentum. And then you have a big nine-game homestand, three against the Astros, three against the Guardians, and three, again, against the Royals. So hopefully, if the White Sox are still serious about contending in the American League Central and getting this season turned around, they really need to have a monster May. If they duplicate what they did in April over into May, then yeah, this, this season, as Hawk would say, is over. (laughs) And Josh, we look through April and the first week of the season, White Sox are getting on base. They're leaving a lot of them in scoring position, but at least they were on base. And then you go, what, the remaining 20 games. And it was an eyesore looking at one through nine, trying to get on outside of a couple of players. What's going on with the plate approach? What is it with the roster construction given, you know, some guys who are like Romy Gonzalez, you mentioned him. He's sporadically getting at-bats, but he's playing all over the field, and that's by design. Lenin Sosa, really bad experience so far in April, and we assume he'll be in Charlotte to get some time as Tim Anderson and Hanser Alberto, and maybe even possibly others are, are going to get a shot at the big league level yet again. I'm thinking about Jake Berger, his standing on the roster associated with Gavin Sheets. I'm just curious your perspective of the way the lineup has been handled by Pedro Grifol and some of the at-bats these guys are taking. Well, right now, as we speak, the Chicago White Sox team OPS is 675, which is not good. That's 25th in Major League Baseball. Here's the good news and maybe the most shocking news you guys will hear. That is the second best offense in the American League Central behind the Minnesota Twins, which the Twins team has a OPS of 723. That's good for 15th in Major League Baseball. The White Sox offensively are producing better than Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City, in which Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City is the 28th, 29th, and 30th ranked offenses in Major League Baseball. Everyone in the American League Central outside of Minnesota is struggling greatly offensively. 
to start the season, which may be a bit shocking, especially when you look at it from a Cleveland perspective. But to your point, and obviously with this being the Future Sox podcast, taking a look at the guys that were maybe cut or are in the rookie level or trying to battle to have a spot in the lineup. I mean, we don't know what the long-term status is going to be for Yohan Makata. I am concerned. When you are talking about a disc issue in the back, and for everyone that's listening to this podcast and podcast listeners that have back issues, I'm sure I'm scaring you right now about a protruding disc that Yohan Makata has right now in his lower back that is impacting his lower half. And that could be a very scary thing because Rick Hahn said, well, 80% of the time you don't need surgery to correct this issue. Okay, well, we're White Sox fans here. Let's look at it from a White Sox perspective. 20% of the time you need back surgery to fix this issue. So we don't have a good set timetable when Yohan Makata is coming back. But Jake Berger, man, he is Jekyll and Hyde. If he is at home at Guarantee Rate Field, he is a monster. If he's on the road... He is a nothing burger, uh, to use his last name as a pun. Uh, for the season, I mean, Jake Berger has an OPS close to 1,000. He leads the team with seven home runs on the season. Six of those home runs are at home. And the road OPS is not very pretty for Jake Berger. And just going down the list here, like Lenin Sosa, for example, and I think he's going to be part of some roster movement here by the White Sox. He got 16 starts at second base while Tim Anderson was away, and they move Andrews over from second base to shortstop. And unfortunately, Mike, Lenin hit 151, 167, and 245. That was his slash line, so it's a 412 OPS. He did have the one home run. He had a couple of doubles, but the one walk to 12 strikeouts for Lenin is really hurting him at this moment. And I like Lenin, and being in person and watching him at Guarantee Ray Field, the one thing I like about him, guys, is that defensively, he's pretty solid. Now, he has made some rookie mistakes, most definitely against the Tampa Bay series where they took advantage of him with runners on first and third. Rosa Reina tagged up from first, went to second because no one was covering second base. Sosa looked confused, didn't know what to do with the ball. And Yandy Diaz tags up from third base and scores on a really cheap sacrifice fly. And, of course, the White Sox end up losing by one run in that particular game. So defensively, I believe in Lenin Sosa to be a major league caliber second baseman defensively. It's all about the bat though. And it's all about commanding the strike zone and uh, making contact. So that's something that he's going to have to work on. If he does go back to AAA to Charlotte, he's going to have to improve his contact skills. Romy Gonzalez, James, I have Ryan Cordell vibes coming from Romy Gonzalez. And what I mean by that is that Cordell got hyped up when he was in the White Sox system. And many online, we had arguments about Cordell. Like, does he have staying power? He's athletic. He's got some loud tools. He gets to the majors. He doesn't hit. And it's the same thing with Romy Gonzalez. And Romy's trying to be the super utility guy that the White Sox are pushing to get him to play not only in the infield, but also in the outfield. And he's making some mistakes defensively. He's 26 years old. To me, James, when I'm looking at Lenin and Romy, Lenin, I think, has got a clear path. I think he'll be a major league second baseman. He just needs to hit better. I don't know what the White Sox are going to do with Romy Gonzalez moving forward. Because if you send him down to Charlotte, you can play him everywhere. 
but he's got to hit a lot better. And if he doesn't hit a lot better, I just don't know what his long-term future is with the Chicago White Sox, James. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just, it's way too many strikeouts. I think you were just hoping that he'd be able to play everywhere and and he'd hit for power and we'd deal with like low batting averages with like the 30% K rate or whatever. But I mean, he it's, you know, it's a K rate well over 40%. And look, it's tough not playing every day, but like, that's the role he's going to have. Like he's, he's a utility player if he's a big leaguer, right? So, you know, he's going to have to figure it out. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the guys that goes down. Um, and look, his issues, I feel like aren't the same as, some of the other guys' issues. His issues are he might just not be good enough to be a major league baseball player, right? But for what, like a year and a half now, we've been talking about how this team does not hit enough homers. We knew that they weren't going to walk enough, you know, and they just hit everything on the ground, right? And the new hitting infrastructure that was announced to the world, and Josh, you and I talked about it, and me and Mike talked about it, and everything that Pedro Grafol and his new lieutenants have talked about, I kind of liked. I think, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds good. And spring training, I feel like we didn't really notice because it's spring training. And then, you know, you have like Lance Lynn go on AJ Pruszynski's podcast. And, you know, he makes a comment about how like these big league hitters are learning a new way. And that's one of the reasons why they're struggling. Can you like explain any of this? Like it could the the new ways that they're teaching these guys really lead to this many struggles? Because honestly, it just really looks the same to me. It's just like a lot of chasing, a lot of ground balls, very similar to what we've seen lately. Yeah, I think with the White Sox perspective, like what they are trying to do differently is the pregame preparation that Rick Hahn was alluding to as far as having better scouting reports. They have variety of technologies, and this has been a pretty heated topic, especially on social media. Jake Berger mentioned iPitch. Now, for those that are not familiar with iPitch, iPitch is a special pitching machine that's actually built here in Illinois. And it's got an Android Samsung tablet attached to it. And what makes this pitching machine sophisticated is that based on the data that you you punch in or a particular pitcher that you might be facing that day, let's say Pablo Lopez of the Minnesota Twins, you can load up Lopez's arsenal into the tablet and the iPitch machine will throw pitches at the same type of velocity and the same type of spin that Pablo Lopez will be throwing at the hitters in that particular night. It can be very effective. There are teams that also use virtual reality headsets to help hitters identify and get better visual looks at upcoming pitchers. One of these technologies is called Win Reality. There's also a lot of other new companies that are coming out, and some teams are building their own uh, type of technologies and software and merging hardware as well and building virtual uh, VR, I, sh- I should call it VR batting cages, in which it looks like a batting cage when you step in, but because of the sensors and cameras they have inside the batting cage, the analysts can see in how a particular hitter is batting at that particular stadium. For example, guarantee rate field if this setup is at home. There's some really cool technology, and the White Sox are using some of this technology, but the hitters are not improving. So it really gets to boiling it down. It's like you have new coaches, and you are incorporating new technology. The results are the same. So it almost puts the onus onto the players themselves that, okay, the players are the root cause. This is a huge concern because the season has started. You can't remake a 26-man roster on the fly. It doesn't work that way. 
someone has to break through. The coaches are going to have to break through and get these guys to buy in before they completely check out in the season. And then you're left wondering, what are we going to do for 2024 in trying to help prepare these hitters? This is not a Chicago thing. I am not... I'm a bit scared, guys, in the type of offensive numbers that we're also seeing out of Charlotte and especially Birmingham. The Barons are struggling greatly to hit. Canapolis and Winston-Salem, different story. There's some promise there. But the 2023 White Sox need help. And if they're going to get help, they're supposed to be getting help from Charlotte and Birmingham. And the Charlotte Knights, despite the home ballpark that they play in, have an OPS like around 712 as we talk about this. The Birmingham Barons are last in the Southern League with a 642 team OPS. So there's something going on within the White Sox player development and even the Major League coaching staff for that XYZ reason. They're just not seeing the results that they are preaching or trying to teach. And it makes me wonder, you may have a bad crop of players here, but if that's the case, Mike... Then you get into the situation where you have this scary conversation of rebuild, and that takes time. That's not an overnight thing that you can suddenly change a a roster. So that's where it has me a bit worried, to James's point, like what Lance Lynn was speaking about. The White Sox are incorporating new techniques. They have new voices in the clubhouse. They have the new technology. The results are the same. And the only thing I can say is then that's on the players themselves not improving. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm with you there. I definitely think the players need to make an adjustment or they need to take to the information better or they just have to apply it better. Everything has to be better from a player's point of view individually. Everybody has to be accountable for what they can do and help the next guy win a ball game. Do what you have to do. But that takes me to my next point, Josh, because you were talking about Birmingham and Charlotte. And Look, I'm not going to fast forward to the trade deadline. We're starting May here, and the White Sox can turn this around slightly with a, a nicer schedule coming up in May compared to April. It's a different conversation, though, if they start to win in May. But my question to you currently as we stand at the beginning of the month is how long of a leash does Rick Hahn and the front office have on the current group of players before they want to make a decision on what's next? Because I believed coming into this year, I didn't think this was going to happen. Like 8-21, and 21, you can absolutely lose a season in April, and they are on the fringe of losing 2023. I didn't expect them to fall out of contention this early. Now they can climb themselves back into it. 
But here we stand. And my question is, how long of a leash do you have on these guys? Like, when is it that you have to pull the trigger and decide we need to help develop and commit to the guys that we've been developing over the last two years in the farm system and move on from some of the expiring contracts, get as much value as you can. I don't want to fast forward to the names, like the guys who are on the block, because we already know these expiring contracts and the names on those, but currently as it stands, do you give it another month? Do you give it another two months? How, how dire is this situation? You got until June 19th. And the reason I point out June 19th, because that is the end of a West Coast road trip visiting the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Seattle Mariners. And you come home to Texas Rangers visit, which the Rangers are playing some pretty good baseball right now. That is a pretty scary offensive lineup. So you got until June 19th. That gives you six weeks. If this doesn't turn around in six weeks, you got the MLB draft coming up, which takes everyone's time. And you're about three, four weeks away from the all-star break. And that's where conversations really start to ramp up. But around June 19th is when I think you're going to start hearing some phone calls. I think a lot of teams are going to have a better understanding of where they are during the course of the season and where they are going to need help. If the White Sox are 10 games below 500 on June 19th. I think they're going to spend the next month starting researching what other teams' farm systems have. So that way, when teams do begin to call in mid-July and if the White Sox are still struggling at the All-Star break, I mean, this is the White Sox schedule after the All-Star break in Seattle. At Atlanta, at the New York Mets, at the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. Uh, that's a nine-game brutal road trip the White Sox have to go on post-All-Star break. So July, I think the schedule is far tougher than what we saw in the month of April. And I, I know, White Sox fans, that does not give you any type of comfort. But it, these things take time, as you know, Mike. It, it, you just can't suddenly snap your fingers and say, yep, I'm ready to trade Lucas Giolito, for example. Every smart front office is going to do their due diligence and start researching. It's just a matter of time when you start pulling the trigger and you have that internal meeting and you go to ownership and say, this is not our year and we need to go in another direction. We've got some expiring contracts here. So I'm going to try to help you save money, boss. We're going to move some guys. We're going to try to bring in some talent because we don't have any interest in bringing these guys back in 2024. So we got to shuffle up the roster here. So I, I would say about six weeks. The White Sox have six weeks to turn this around. So Josh, like, you know, just like the next thing, and obviously, look, this is something that you and Jim are going to talk about like over the next six to eight weeks. And I know like you've been at the ballpark and the chance and like people are angry and whatever. Like I, I don't know what the best thing to do is. And we'll kind of talk about that. Like how much do you sell if you have to sell? Are these the people that you want selling? Right. But like, does it, does this feel different to you? Like, does it feel like maybe actual change is possible? Like similar to the bulls a couple years ago, if this kind of stays and doesn't get much better. That's a good question, James. I think the differences between the bulls and the white Sox is Michael Reinsdorf. Michael, obviously far more involved with the bulls and the white Sox. And Michael is the president of the Chicago bulls. And he's the one that kind of convinced his dad, we got to go in a different direction. And he led the search party and the Bulls are where they are right now because of Michael Reinsdorf. There is no Michael Reinsdorf with the White Sox. And because there is no Michael Reinsdorf with the Chicago White Sox, there is no president that overlooks Ken Williams and Rick Hahn. 
I am just doubtful we are going to see any type of meaningful change because Jerry Reinsdorf is 87 years old and I don't know how many 87-year-old guys have the energy and the time to put in a well-thought-out search party to find a new baseball front office that they trust with the board's money. It's a lot easier just to trust the guys have been around in the building for a couple of decades. So while I think the White Sox should move on from Ken Williams and Rick Hahn because their thought process has kind of led the White Sox to where they are right now and why their season is crumbling, I think in reality, they're probably not going to move. And that's going to anger a, a lot of White Sox fans. So what does that mean for Rick Hahn and Ken Williams? Well, they still got to do some work. So when you look at the upcoming trade deadline the next six weeks, I mean, you're talking about Lucas Giolito's a free agent after this season. He is gone. Like, right now in my head, I'd be very shocked if Lucas Giolito finished this season with the White Sox. I think he's the number one trade target right now. He has been pitching well. Teams will call. And you may get a better return than thought of for a half a season of Lucas Giolito just because of the demand for quality starting pitching. Lance Lynn has a contract for next year, but it's a $1 million buyout. He is pitching poorly <laughs> to start the year. I mean, his ERA is still over seven, but in his last start, he did hold the raise to six uh, hitless innings. So maybe there is some hope for other teams that, well, we can't afford Lucas Giolito, but we can meet your asking price for Lance Lynn. So how about you send over $500,000? We split the, the buyout for next year and we give you these guys as far as prospects if a team has an injury at catcher i could see teams calling about yasmani grandal even though defensively he is below average now especially for major league catchers uh offensively he could help uh, i still think he can help offensively uh, behind the plate and then there's tim anderson now this goes back to your point james just how far down the well you go the Los Angeles Dodgers are hurting at the shortstop position. They are really hurting with Trey Turner leaving and the unfortunate injury to Gavin Lux during spring training. The Dodgers have pulled off these types of trades in the past before. And I just wonder, especially with Tim Anderson only owed $14.5 million for 2024, if that in the next six weeks... If shortstop play for the Los Angeles Dodgers does not improve, I wonder, Mike, if we start hearing rumblings about the Dodgers calling in regards to Tim Anderson. Because if you're looking for the biggest midseason impact to add players to at least a AAA level for the Chicago White Sox to add to the prospects... That is one team that I'm circling right now is Los Angeles Dodgers for Tim Anderson. Some people have also brought up that the Atlanta Braves are not exactly on solid footing at shortstop. And Mike, if you can create some type of midseason bidding war between the Braves and the Dodgers for Tim Anderson, that is how a general manager can optimize the best return possible for that type of player. I know it will crush the heart and soul for a lot of White Sox fans. They will completely check out. But if you're just looking from the perspective of baseball operations and pretty much understanding that you're going nowhere in 2023 and 2024 doesn't look any better, 
And you know that you're not going to be wanting to pay Tim Anderson the money that he's going to be seeking as a 32-year-old free agent. In order to maximize what you have left of Tim Anderson, maybe the best way to go at it is creating some type of bidding war between the Atlanta Braves and Los Angeles Dodgers. And that's a perfect example, Josh, of what we were getting to earlier in the episode. It's, you know, the six-week window, as you described it, I mean, that it comes, it all comes into play because you're not only thinking of the remainder of this year. I, I know the White Sox are looking ahead to 2024 just based on budget and the names coming off the books. And it's important to note some of the prospects who are still sort of far away at premium positions within the system. And that's kind of where I want to take this conversation now, Joshua. A couple more for you. I really appreciate your time. I know you're so busy with Sox Machine. You know, we're looking ahead to the draft. What's been your overall feelings about the way the White Sox front office under Mike Shirley has operated? And is there a strategy that you'd like to see them undergo as we approach the draft? Yeah, this is a good question, Mike. And James, you and I are going to have more of these conversations in the upcoming months as we're now entering the final month of the regular season in college baseball and prep baseball across the country is really picking up steam. So we are that the freight train is now moving, folks, when it comes to the 2023 Major League Baseball draft and on Sox Machine Future Sox, the updated top 100 Average Rankings Database will be released this week on the website. And again, for those that are not familiar, this top 100 list is combining MLB.com, Baseball America, Prospects Live, ESPN, and a number of other sources to try to build some type of uh, consolidated top 100 list. Like, here's a consensus of what everyone is thinking is going to be in the top 100 And that's how we formulate the top 100 list because it helps us paint a better picture of who are the top 100 guys that the industry thinks about is the top 100 coming into the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. From a White Sox perspective, Mike and James, everyone at any type of profile is on the board. This isn't Nick Kostetler where you can just pretty much cancel out the prep players in the first round and just focus on the best-performing college players that the White Sox could possibly select at pick 15. Mike Shirley James has really kept us on our toes, and it could be any type of profile, prep or college, any type of demographic as well. And that's kind of what it makes it exciting following the White Sox in recent years in the draft because the honest answer, Mike, is I don't know what direction Mike Shirley's going to go. Because he's gone in so many different directions, James, that I think we just have to be open up to any possibility. Mike Shirley has been a complete wild card so far. I mean, it's three different demos. I mean, he's obviously, like, said is on record and has shown that, like, they're not really afraid to take high school players. And, you know, we saw, like, the risky demographic last year with Noah Schultz. I I feel like that would be a little bit upsetting to me if they went back to the high school pitching well at 15. And we have a long time to talk about this, obviously. You know, I think like college hitting is the strength of the class. It's the one thing that they haven't taken yet. So maybe they go in that direction. But I do think just the intrigue of knowing that they could do anything, like I agree with you, you know, is, is pretty interesting. You know, we talked to Joe Doyle last week. What are your thoughts just like, I guess, on the top of the class and just how college rich it is and how much that has to do with the 2020 draft? Yeah, James, I think the the strength of this class and what you're going to see, especially in the top 10, is on the college front. This is one of, if not the strongest college class that I have seen. 
since I've been covering the MLB draft for Sox Machine starting back in 2018, on just the position player side, I mean, you're going to see, I think you're going to see a rush. You're going to see a rush if the draft were tomorrow of college position players. Dylan Cruz of LSU, Wyatt Langford, outfielder from Florida. These guys have loud tools, loud tools. Jacob Gonzalez and Jacob Wilson, the top college shortstops. Gonzalez out of Ole Miss, Wilson out of Grand Canyon University. And then you have a bunch of toolsy guys as well on the college front that could sneak into the top 10, maybe not available to the White Sox when they pick at 15. This is your Enrique Bradfield Jr., the speedster outfielder out of Vanderbilt who had a terrible non-conference performance, but he's really picked up his play during the SEC conference play, uh, which is really surprising and it's good to see Braden Taylor, the third baseman out of TCU, and on the position player front, someone that suddenly became one of my draft crushes, uh, playing for Wake Forest out in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, of course, in the shadow of the White Sox, Winston-Salem Dash affiliate, is Brock Wilkin, the third baseman, who just broke the school record for most career home runs. And then on the college front, on the pitching side, it's Paul Skeens of LSU, Chase Dallander of Tennessee. Those were the big names that we heard about. Coming into the season, they have been performing very well. And then you got Rhett Lauder out of Wake Forest and Hurston Waldrip out of Florida. These guys could also be going in the top 15. And in our last mock draft that we did in early April, my top like 12, 10 of the 12 players were, were college players. So what does this mean for the White Sox? I would say if I made a list of the top 12 college players... I think there's a chance that none of those guys are available for the White Sox at pick 15. But that does mean that some of the best prep players in this draft will be available to the White Sox at pick 15. We're talking about Arjun Namala, a shortstop from Florida, who hosted some ridiculous exit velocities during the Perfect Game Showcase this past summer, maxing out an exit velocity of 101 miles per hour with a wood bat. He's 18 years old. Noble Meyer, I've wrote it, I've written about him on Sox Machine. He's got this John Smoltz type of three-quarter slot throwing motion with an upper 90s fastball and a slider that could generate 3,000 RPMs, which is just right up there with the way that Dylan Cease throws his sliders. So pretty impressive stuff. Uh, you got Aiden Miller, a talented third baseman, the top prep third baseman in this draft that would could possibly be available for the White Sox. And I know one of your guys, someone that you like, James, is Kevin McCongle, who is a prep shortstop. I don't think he's going to be shortstop long-term. He just does not have the throwing arm, I think, to be a shortstop long-term. I think he moves over to second base. But he's also got some of the loudest hitting tools as well. And, Mike, let's talk about the kid in the backyard because he's going to be ranked 27th in our top 100 this week from Homewood Flossmoor, and that's Dylan Head. And Dylan Head, I know, Mike, you got a chance to see him. You did a great write-up uh, for Future Socks that I highly recommend everybody go check that out in case you didn't see it. The tools are incredibly loud. And from what I have spoken to with people it's like a debate internally from some teams. Who do you go with? Do you go with someone like Enrique Bradfield Jr., who has the college track record, but over that time he's proven that he can't hit for power or the type of power that major league teams want? 
Or do you take a younger version of Enrique Bradfield Jr. and someone like Dylan Head, and maybe you can do a better job than he's a Clemson commit. What Clemson can do to develop his offensive skills. Like all of a sudden, Dylan Head at the beginning of this draft coverage was someone around the 50th ranked prospect, probably a second rounder, now looking to be in the mid to late first round and maybe could be a possibility for the Chicago White Sox at pick 15. So while I am not exactly hopeful that the top 10 college players at the very least will make it to the White Sox at 15, I don't think, I think that's not a likely scenario. I do think it's likely that outside of Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, prep prospects three, four, and five, no matter who creates that list, could be available at the White Sox at pick 15. So that's what makes this interesting, or at least an interesting draft slot, Mike, for the White Sox at pick 15. For more information, if you're willing and able, become a patron to SoxMachine.com. All the information is there on the website. Josh does a terrific job all year round covering the prospects. I'm sure, Josh, are you already looking forward to 2024 or no? Are you just so focused on this year? You know, there's a lot of people that have been asking about the 2024 draft class as of late, Mike. And what I will say is that there's not a generational talent. I mean, there's Vance Honeycutt out of North Carolina who just is toolsy as can be, but his contact skills are really weak, and I am quite worried about his strikeout rate. Uh, If you do watch any of the SEC or conference play or regionals when college baseball playoffs begin, Chase Burns out of Tennessee, he is the Saturday starter behind Chase Dollander. This kid is electric for Tennessee, big-time arm. So there are some interesting prospects, but no, this draft class in 2023 right now, it was stronger coming into the season than 2024. And it's like every passing week, Mike and James, this class continues to get stronger right now. I think the consensus would be the 2023 draft class is much stronger than the 2024 class. Yeah. We talked to Joe Doyle last week on the future Sox podcast. You can go back and listen to that. A lot of draft information and you echo the same sentiments. And I'm just curious what the white Sox want to do here because Man, you think about the big league club and where the roster, when the minor league rosters are currently, and it just doesn't seem like they mesh. So if they went with high upside, quick developer out of college, maybe that timeline lines up a little bit better with some of the guys that are already developing among the top prospects. But again, like you said, Mike Shirley can go any which way, and I'm curious. So Josh, thanks for all you do. I know you'll be uh, celebrating your marriage. Well, damn, you're getting married, aren't you, during the draft? That's right. I, I'm getting, yeah, the week of the, the big wedding parties, the Friday before the Sunday of the MLB draft. Great timing on my part, obviously. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. But, yeah, it's uh, yeah. draft coverage is going to be fun with you guys again. Yeah, well, I uh, I would take getting married over covering the Well, <laughs> it depends, I guess, on who you ask. Josh, thanks so much for being on here. Really appreciate everything you do for us and uh, at Sox Machine. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. My name is Mike Rankin and for James Fox. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We release episodes every Tuesday, weekly for you, 365 days a year. We're covering Chicago White Sox baseball on SoxMachine.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week.